HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network with me, your host, Erica Wides. And, you know, Let's Get Real, we've been around for a long time now. We mentioned this last week, but uh, it's been a long time. This show launched in September of 2012, over three years ago, way, way, way back when, way back when, back when I was still an unhappy full-time instructor at a big unnamed culinary school. Now, I'm a happy, crazy happy, part-time instructor, which is so much better, by the way, being part-time, at a cute little school, teeny little school, called Home Cooking New York, which is here in New York. And um, I risk no legal action by disclosing that fact. The big one I call the nameless school. The little one is Home Cooking New York. No legal action involved in naming that place. But actually, that, that's kind of a joke. Because I can say where I used to work as much as I want. There's no legal action involved. I just don't want to give them the free plug. So I don't mention them. Ha ha. Too bad. Anyway, in those early days of Let's Get Real, way back when, when we were young, and just building out the shelter and getting the team together, um, do you remember how I used to talk about The Matrix a lot? You know, that movie with Keanu Reeves, The Matrix. Remember those days? I used to bring The Matrix up a lot. Um, and before creating Let's Get Real, I had actually never seen it. Never. Nope. Not really in the sci-fi. Except Cloud Atlas, which I loved. I'd never seen it, but my former co-producer, Chris Nutter, remember him? I used to mention him a lot on the show, too. He helped me create the show. 
Chris was a big fan of The Matrix, and he made me watch it because when we came up with this whole idea of foodiness, he said that foodiness really came right out of the idea behind The Matrix. And you know what? He was right. You know, as in, like, in The Matrix, you don't, your mind isn't your own anymore. You're not who you are. You're sort of being controlled, you know, by the by the Matrix. And once you've succumbed to the matrix of foodiness, it's the same thing. You've given up control of your being and your destiny. You have no say over yourself, just like in the movie. But, I mean, in the movie, you really had no choice. With foodiness, you really, you do have a choice. You can consciously say yes or no, as opposed to, like, the red pill or the blue pill in the movie. There are red pills and blue pills in foodiness, too. They're called gummy vitamins, but you can have the choice not to take them, you know. Just say no to the gummy vitamin. So in real life, at least with your food choices, you still sort of have the, you have choice or you have the illusion of choice. At least you consciously can make choices, although it's hard to tell sometimes really if the choices you're making have any impact on the outcome. But you think you're doing the right thing. You think you're buying the right food, making the right choices, following all the right rules, listening to me. And then suddenly you find out that the, you know, so-called organic dairy products that you've been buying are actually produced by Monsanto on some giant agribiz mega farm factory in Iowa. Turns out that's what's been going on. Yeah. Or you buy into the prevailing nutritional pseudoscience guidelines of the day, of the era, and you eat things like low-fat dairy and lots of grains and sugar instead of eating fat and protein. And you watch yourself and your entire country get fatter and sicker by the year. No thanks. I'm going to make my own choices now. Thank you very much. But it seems to be hard sometimes to see the real food for the foodiness forest, doesn't it? I mean, we're bombarded at every step and every turn with the message, especially as big food starts to realize that an increasingly bigger slice of the public are onto their game. Thanks to me, of course. And they're starting to get kind of nervous. They're getting panicky, I think. They're, they're starting to get a little bit antsy up there in big food because people aren't doing things like eating as much cereal anymore or drinking as much soda anymore the numbers are going down although they're substituting it with other things like hyper sweetened yogurt for breakfast or breakfast bars or sports drinks which in a way are worse but you know as i've always said foodiness creates its own vacuum a foodiness solution to a foodiness problem it creates its own vacuum and so in to the vacuum rushes new foodiness products or rush new foodiness products to fill that giant sucking void that the products themselves make. As always, a new improved foodiness solution to fill the giant, needy, gaping maw of emptiness. Ooh, so existential today. Now, in this case, it's not even products filling the void. It's propaganda. Yeah, propaganda. Have you seen the new Monsanto television ads? Have you seen these? They're in prime time. They're these new TV ads for Monsanto about having a conversation about food. A conversation. Let's have a conversation about food. What's the most important time and place in your family? Sitting down at the table, eating together. It's time 
to have a conversation about food. There are these beautifully made commercials, these pastiches of farms and families and kids and all this beautiful food sitting down to eat together with all these quick cut shots of like shiny produce and fresh hot cooked food and all these beautiful houses and apartments that these people live in and there's all this nice warm string music in the background and beautiful sunshiny light and and it ends with this you know beautifully handwritten chalkboard sign like you would find at some rustic farmer's market in an imaginary rural ideal village somewhere in the country somewhere somewhere just outside of the city somewhere where you can go on a weekend and experience the bliss of rural life and farms and GMO produce and illegal immigrants being poisoned by pesticides and corn syrup and everything. Anyway, sorry. And the whole thing has this soothing voiceover. This woman, she has this just slightly raspy VO kind of voice and it's about having a conversation and sitting down to the table and I mean this this may be it this may be the end because um, she even gets to me her voice gets to me now I do some voiceover work too did you know that and I'm terrified that one of these days I'm going to get offered a spot like that and what am I going to do am I going to say no well yeah I should say no, but maybe I should say yes, and I should just take the big chunk of money that I would get paid and give it directly to whomever is doing the best work in fighting those guys, right? My voiceover coach, Dorian Elliott, who's great. If you ever need voiceover coach, Dorian Elliott, decasting at AOL.com, even though she still uses AOL, she's great, um, told me that she has a student who's this like very like left-wing kind of militant lesbian who was hired to do voiceover for the Romney campaign. And so she did it, and she took all the money she made from the Romney campaign paying her, and she donated it to the Obama campaign. (laughs) See? So there are ways of working around that. Last week, I auditioned for a commercial for Caraba's Italian Grill, which Jack was utterly horrified by. But luckily, I didn't get cast in it, so it's okay. We don't have to face that ethical dilemma, because we're not going to come to it. But anyway, in these Monsanto ads... they're they're beautiful they're beautifully made they suck me in every time because every time i see them i forget they're from monsanto until the end because of course they don't mention monsanto until the very very end and i always think oh what's this for what's this oh where's this nirvana where is this beautiful rustic real food utopia that these people are living in and then boom oh yeah right but these ads the reality of this is that this is also This is the Matrix. These ads, this is it. The Matrix in the form of Monsanto creating not just a vacuum filler, but I think this time it's actually creating a black hole in the fabric of space. Yes, these ads are the black hole that we will all be sucked into. This is the hole in the fabric of time and space in which no truth, no reality, no light, no justice or uncorrupted thought can exist in this black hole it's so deceptive and so manipulative that no life or light can exist in it this this may be it when monsanto runs ads about food sustainability and having conversations about our food well then i think it may be the end of everything it's like beyond orwellian beyond it's and it's beyond double speak it's beyond north korean style propaganda 
or anything else in the evil and sordid history of how fucked up humans can get in the name of control and or profit. It's beyond that. I mean, now I am no Marxist. Well, I have some Marxist tendencies, but I'm not no Marxist. But remember, he who controls the means of production. Um, I can't remember the rest, but, you know, it's really scary, right? Because think about who's controlling the means of production in this case. Okay, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Cane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Cane5.com. Welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food here on Heritage Radio Network with me, Erica White, your host. Oh, have I mentioned uh, I'm on Instagram, finally? Yeah, I got it together. So you can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show. So my life is full of all these really odd, crazy coincidences, like very weird things like working in Maine one summer and on the night before my day off, watching a movie with Willem Dafoe in it and saying out loud to someone in the room, oh, Willem Dafoe, I used to see him around my neighborhood in Manhattan a lot. I haven't seen him in a while. And then going hiking in the mountains the next day in New Hampshire and coming down the mountain and seeing a strange looking person in the distance. And it was fucking Willem Dafoe on the mountain in New Hampshire. Things like that happen to me all the time. So this morning I'm writing the show, tap, 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 sitting there at my computer, tap, tap, tap thinking about that phrase, he who controls the means of production, knowing that it was Marx, but I couldn't quite remember much else about it, that it was from the Communist Manifesto. Manifesto. So, you know, I Googled it. I was going to ask Adam, my husband, but he was sitting there very busy doing the Sunday crossword puzzle on Tuesday. So I didn't ask him. I just figured it out myself. And then I leave to come here and do the show. He leaves to go off to the post office to scream at some civil servant about something. And on the way out, there's a box of books in front of the church next to my house. And what is sitting in the box of books? The Communist Manifesto. Just sitting there. Crazy, right? If it were Willem Dafoe standing there holding the Communist Manifesto, then I would have had just, you know, that's it. I would give up. Anyway, I just want to share that with you. Now, now that I'm teaching at this much smaller school, Home Cooking New York, as opposed to the big unnamed culinary school, the much smaller school, which I like to call a one-room schoolhouse in homage to Laura Ingalls, like the one she attended back on the prairie. You know, I haven't mentioned Laura in a, in a good long time. You know, she's a big sort of running undercurrent theme of the show. And I haven't mentioned her in a while. Every summer, apparently, in North Dakota, there's this big event called Laura Palooza, which is like a big, like, scholarly gathering about Laura Ingalls. And I'm seriously thinking about going this year. If anybody who listens to the show has ever gone or is planning on going, get in touch with me. Let me know. I might go to Laura Palooza. Anyway, I haven't mentioned Laura and her family in a long time. And I'm sure that their various homesteads where they lived across the Midwest are now buried under concrete and Walmarts or fields of GMO, Monsanto, soybeans, and corn, unfortunately. 
But now that I have a smaller classroom and therefore a bigger pulpit, because the fewer the people, you know, the bigger the message. No, I don't know if that's true. I can preach the gospel of food versus foodiness and eating real as much as I want because it's just me in this one kitchen and I have no pesky administrators lurking around potentially censoring me which actually never really happened at the other school. They just wanted to make sure that there were butts in seats. And as long as the chairs were filled and the tuition checks were paid, I could have been telling my students that eggs came out of horses and that chickens were designed by Jesus to feed on marshmallow peeps. And they'd have been totally fine with it. So now the people who come to take classes with me get a good heap and helping of not just cooking instructions. And not just food versus foodiness, but also just plain old eating real preaching, which is good. It's why they're there. And that's fine because that's what I'm teaching them. And they're all really receptive to it, which is great. And I feel like I'm doing the Lord's work because the Lord being me, of course, in that case. But once in a while, we also do private parties at our little school. Groups come from companies or groups of friends. And so sometimes you get a mix of people who've been merely invited to come to this thing by a host and who aren't there by their own choice or curiosity or desire to learn or volition. They're just guests. And this happened to me last week when we had a very nice family come to have a group class as their annual family party slash holiday outing, which I thought seemed like a really nice thing to do as a family. And if my family weren't all estranged and messed up and all over the world and the country and could actually all get into one room at the same time. It might be kind of a fun thing to do, but that will never happen. Now, they were a family group of nine. It was a group of nine. There was a dad and a mom and then a grandma, his mom, and then a bunch of adult kids and cousins. They ranged from like 17 to, I don't know, 35 or something. Now, let me just put it this way. They weren't um, city people, okay? They were suburban. They were from New Jersey. This is nothing against New Jersey, but there is a certain archetype at work here. Okay? Perfectly nice. But, you know, they weren't like liberal, enlightened Upper West Siders or like city people. Okay? Now, the dad had set it all up, and he was very excited about it and really into it. And the rest of them seemed almost a little confused as to why they were there, why he had chosen that, what they were really supposed to be doing, etc. You know, they weren't like, they weren't so good at like the cocktail party chatter hanging around kind of, I mean, they were a family. They, you know, it wasn't a cocktail party. And all the kids, you know, 17 to 35, just kept like pulling out their phones and texting and looking at their phones, of course. And the grandma came right up to me and said, I'm not doing any cooking. I cooked for 50 years. I'm done. And I said, that's totally fine. You can just sit and watch. But I did my best to make it fun and comfortable. And, you know, I can be quite hospitable. I'm not the monster I make myself out to be sometimes. I am really quite the host. So we're all cooking and all was going well. And they were drinking their wine. Oh, wait, this is this is the first part of it, the wine. So we always tell our guests and our students that they are welcome to bring their own wine. We don't serve wine. We don't have the license. But they can bring their own wine. And they can open it and drink it as soon as they like upon arrival as long as they don't get really messed up and get in trouble right so this crew shows up with three of those big bottles i don't know what size they are those like double size big like party bottles of barefoot brand pink zinfandel 
like we were at a sorority party or something. Okay. You know those big bottles? They're like eight ninety nine and they're huge. And it's barefoot brand pink Zinfandel. Okay, so first of all, I'm not really a wine snob because I drink cheap wine too. Like a twelve dollar Tempranillo from Spain. Don't tell Chris Howell that who sponsors my show from Kane because he would be appalled. He already knows. Just don't tell him again. A $12 Tempranillo from Spain is different than a gallon jug of barefoot brand pink Zinfandel. Okay? We're not teenagers. These were like, they were drinking like teenager wine. There's a difference. Okay. So maybe, all right, I'm a little bit of a snob and they weren't so sophisticated, but that's okay. I'm trying to be less judgmental this year. I think I probably said the same thing last year too, but this year, well, I'm really going to do it. So I'm not judging their wine choice per se. I'm merely pointing out that it doesn't get more industrialized, commercialized, and matrix foodiness eyes than a brand name pink wine. I mean, you may as well just be drinking Mountain Dew at that point, right? Okay, anyway, so they start drinking. I give my little lecture. We're going to start cooking, sort of. Some of them are into it. Some of them aren't. It's always that way, and it's fine. We start off by making dessert, which is tiramisu, because tiramisu you have to make, and then you have to refrigerate for several hours, so we do it first. Now, tiramisu is a dessert that, in my humble opinion, imho, along with molten chocolate cake and anything colored red that's cake-based, should be banned from the planet forever. I'm sorry if you like these things, but I have made enough tiramisu and molten chocolate center cakes to last until infinity and even well beyond that. But it's what they picked. So we do it. Now, a big component of tiramisu is espresso. Espresso. Not espresso, as certain people said. Espresso. In this case... I used instant espresso granules. It's just freeze-dried espresso, which is totally fine for this because we don't have a coffee maker or espresso machine at the school. So I start to show them how to soak the lady fingers, which are the little cookies you use, in the sweetened espresso to layer to make the tiramisu with the whipped up, only slightly cooked eggs and whipped egg whites and mascarpone, which is pronounced mascarpone, not mascarpone, by the way, and the shaved chocolate, etc., And as we're making this tiramisu, it leads to a discussion amongst them, not me, about coffee. And they're talking about espresso and coffee and who likes coffee and who doesn't like coffee in the family. And they're saying, oh, I like coffee. Oh, I don't like coffee. Oh, this one likes coffee. This one doesn't like coffee. And so Starbucks comes up, as it will. And I hear one of the younger girl cousins saying to another one of the younger girl cousins, I don't drink coffee, but I like Starbucks. And then another one says, yeah, I don't like coffee either, but I like Starbucks. And when asked why by the dad, she said this, this, this gem, this polished gem, this sparkling jewel of such fractured clarity and nauseating appropriateness to everything that I scream about weekly. This is what she said. I don't like coffee, but I go to Starbucks because I love the cotton candy latte. At that point, I almost dropped my whipped egg-covered whisk on the floor. And then her little cousin chimed in and said, Yeah, me too. The cotton candy latte is awesome. At which point I realized that this was a totally lost cause of a group. And let's just get the dinner made and be done with it so I can go home. Please. And have a glass of wine. Real wine. The cotton candy latte. 
Now, I've done shows about coffee and coffee drinks and candy, and but you know what? The cotton candy latte. Like, I, I, I couldn't have even made that one up. The co- it's like my mind. My mind is like a big pile of scrambled eggs right now, if you like, visualize it. That's what my mind looks like. Is it like a real thing? I mean, how can you drink it? How is it? How do they make it? What is it? So on the way home to the subway, I passed a Starbucks in Chinatown, and I sort of peeked in, and I looked at the menu. I thought maybe it's like a special thing. No cotton candy latte. So I'm thinking about this. Like, what's the flavor of cotton candy anyway? I mean, what cotton candy is just sugar. It's sugar that is spun and whipped into this, like, floss, right? And some pink dye. And maybe, I guess, something artificially fruity flavored added to it. To me, the flavor of cotton candy, it just tastes like pink, like sugary pink. You know, like there's red flavor. There's also pink flavor. So how do they put the cotton candy into a latte? So I went off to the Starbucks website, which, of course, didn't list anything. Because it's not really a real thing. Because a Google search revealed a whole mess of sites devoted to off-menu secret items at chains. Whole websites devoted to various incarnations of lattes and frappuccinos that you can ask your barista to make for you out of all their variously artificially flavored syrups and infusions. Now, I knew that these websites existed, too, about the secret off-menu items at all the fast food chains. I mean, I'm not that sheltered here in my, you know, Brooklyn artisanal mustache-wearing bubble. We get out. It's not just me and Jack living down here in the shelter all the time, eating pizza from Roberta's and drinking craft brews. Well, maybe Jack. I think he lives here. I live on pizza also. I know. It's okay. You're young. But it turns out that she was actually a little bit wrong in her nomenclature. It's a cotton candy frappuccino. Oh, now that makes totally way more sense. Now I get it. It was the latte bit that threw me off. I mean, cotton candy frappuccino, of course. Cotton candy latte. Oh, that's really weird. You make a vanilla bean flavored frappuccino and you add red flavored syrup to it, a.k.a. raspberry, a.k.a. cotton candy flavor. Actually, I think it's pink flavored, not red flavor. Aha! Stupid, stupid me. Cotton candy frappuccino. There you go. So the tiramisu, remember the tiramisu? That's what we were making when this conversation started. Minus any cotton candy flavor goes into the fridge to chill. After multiple repeated explanations to these girls that, no, it doesn't get baked in the oven now. No, we don't put it in the oven. It's not a baked dessert, which they, with their pink Zinfandel and pink Frappuccino adult brains, could not get a grip on. What do you mean you don't bake it now? It's a dessert. No, we don't bake it. It's an unbaked dessert. We don't put it in the oven. They were mystified. I could have been speaking Croatian to them. Now go pour yourself some more pink wine and let's move on, please. And so we moved on to making the risotto, the first course, the risotto, which involves 25 minutes of constant stirring, which the boy cousins all immediately took to because it gave them a chance to roll up their sleeves and show off their biceps and show me their stirring technique, which they were so good at. Now, this was technically an Italian family, by the way. Now, not like real Italians from Italy, but, you know, like... Jersey Italians, like chicken parm and penne alla vodka Italians, you know, American Italians. But we were making a spinach and butternut squash risotto. 
And after dinner, when I cleared the plates, I would say that 80% of them had little mounds of carefully excised butternut squash, dice, and spinach piled up on the sides of the plates, which they had all very carefully picked out of their risotto, which I found offensive. But back to the cooking. So we're starting the risotto, and I'm explaining to them that because it's a northern Italian dish, we start with butter, not olive oil, and that here at Home Cooking New York, our philosophy is that we don't use any refined vegetable oils in our cooking. We only use olive oil, butter, unrefined coconut oil, or other animal fats. That's what we do. And I always use this moment to make a little speech about using real butter and how maligned it's been for decades and how good it really is for you and how you should eat butter and olive oil and coconut oil and animal fats, but not vegetable oils and especially not anything like margarine. And most people kind of know this by now. It was on the cover of Time magazine. You don't get more mainstream than that. But in this crowd, this leads to this look of unbelievable shock on the faces of this family as they can't even fathom what I am saying. As if I said to them that Jesus was a black lesbian woman who laid pink marshmallow eggs at Easter time. And that leads to the inevitable conversation amongst the cousins about butter. And one of the guy cousins says to me, but what do you spread on a bagel? Stick butter? And I said, well, I don't eat bagels, but if I did, it would be cream cheese or real butter. And he said, you mean like from a stick? And I said, yeah, that's how butter comes, in a stick. He said, not the spreading kind or the kind that you squeeze from a bottle? And I said, no, that's margarine. I eat butter from a stick. And then I realized that they actually didn't see or know that there was any line between butter and margarine products, they didn't know that butter was a real actual food product and that margarine wasn't. It was a gray area. for There was no, nothing, no line. And when they said stick butter, I think they were actually talking about stick margarine, but I'm not even sure because they were so far down that sticky pink cotton candy latte barefoot wine Zinfandel rabbit hole that they couldn't see the butter forest for the margarine trees. And then the grandma, who had this gigantic head of highly coiffed, highly perfumed blonde hair and serious bling on both hands and wrists, and who had been really quiet about all of it up until then, suddenly picks up her big hairy head and pipes up really loudly and says, See? This is what I've been saying and doing for years. I only use real butter. Nobody ever believed that what I was doing was right, and you all were always picking on me for it. At which point I forgave her for the giant hair, and we bonded together over our mutual love of butter, and I express admiration for all her jewelry, even though it was a big lie. So we're back at the cooking, and we're stirring our risotto, which is almost finished. I'm I'm about to explain to them the final step in risotto making, which is called mantecare, which is what? You finish your risotto with another chunk of butter. You stir it in at the end, a little chunk of butter. It mounts it with butter. It puts a shine on it, makes it delicious. And the pink drink drinkers are still babbling on. Only now it's about snowboarding and guns. Yeah, they've all turned the discussion from cotton candy lattes to stick margarine to guns. And they catch me saying butter again as I'm throwing the last knob of it into the risotto. And one of them, who has apparently had at this point so much pink barefoot wine that she can't keep up with the rapidly changing topics of conversation, suddenly picks up her head and pipes up and says, Well, I don't like stick butter. I only like the kind that comes in the brown plastic bowl. 
And I just keep my mouth shut because I can only say and do so much. The Matrix has won. And this family are its victims. And if I can save them, well, or if I can't save them, sorry, well, at least I know there are a few people out there who are listening. The pink barefoot wine cotton candy latte tub margarine crowd, they're the lost generation. Just let them go off and die in New Jersey somewhere. It's okay. Just just go. And so I served them their dinner, the risotto with spinach and butternut squash and their lemon rosemary roasted chicken on the bone, which nobody knows how to handle, and they pick off all the skin and don't touch it, and the broccoli rabe with garlic, which luckily is a staple of all middling Jersey Italian restaurants, and finally the tiramisu, which they devour, of course, because, I mean, who can resist tiramisu, right? Except for me. Blech. And the dad gives me a really nice tip and he and the grandma are really happy because all the kids are together and the kids are all looking at their phones and texting all throughout dinner while they discuss their guns and their snowboards. But dad and grandma are happy because the whole family's together and they say a good night to me and I pack up and I leave and I walk through the streets of Chinatown to the subway, a lone fighter in the dark matrix of foodiness. We're out of time. That's it for this week. Thanks, Jack. No, Jack, Jack, what are you? Jack Inslee in the control oh, hey. room. Sorry. I forgot who you were for a second. I got so wrapped up there. Remember to follow the show on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show on Instagram at Let's Get Real Show. Find us on Facebook and check them out at my website. Oh, my new website, ericawides.com. All kinds of stuff on there now. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 